goddess or a god, and um, uh, some of those ancient festivals, some of those ancient pagan festivals uh, <clears throat> are where we get some of our customs during Easter, you know, the Easter rabbit. Uh, it was believed that Isis uh, 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 partnered with a, uh, a rabbit and rabbits symbolic of fertility, Easter eggs and colored eggs. And so all of that tradition is sort of um, in, uh, in pagan uh, rituals and, and, and pagan um, uh, festivals, springtime, newness, new life. Uh, so <clears throat> we're going to talk this morning about the Passover. And uh, as that video sort of showed, and it's kind of a cartoon, but I thought it was kind of a pretty cool little video. Uh, it shows uh, the sort of the sequence of what happened uh, some 3,500 years ago in uh, ancient Egypt. And so one of the things that, is, that I thought about is like, how is it that something that happened that long ago uh, has any relevance in our life today? How is it that something that happened that long ago, how can that help me or how can that strengthen my faith today? And, and the answer is a lot, a lot. Let's all stand and let's pray, shall we? While you're doing that, I want to remind you that we have these um, you know, Celebrate Easter cards in our lobby. Grab as many as you need and hand them out to people. Uh, Easter service, Easter Sunday is a time where a lot of people are thinking about spiritual things. It's a good time to invite someone to church. And also, uh, there are a lot of people that uh, they call CEOs, uh, Christmas, Easter only. And so a lot of those folks will be here. And so if you know any of those folks that maybe aren't in fellowship, this might be a good opportunity to invite them as well. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, thank you for the ability that we have to be here today, to stand before you, and God, that you would speak by your Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, give us something to grab a hold of this morning. Uh, take our hearts, take our minds, God, and, and fill them with your words. Uh, we are uh, we're excited, we're grateful, we're thankful. Uh, we look to you for all things, and especially this time right now, oh God, speak by your Spirit. We give you free reign and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would. All right. So, it's the month of, it's the month of March. It is the month of March. And we are deeming this, this month a month of celebration. Our Easter uh, Sunday Easter celebration is going to be called just that. Something to celebrate. Something to celebrate. And Easter is not something to celebrate once a year as it comes around. Temperatures are warming up. Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, mulberries are done. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Yay! Yeah, I got all kind of reaction on that. You thought I was giving away $100 or something, man. I mean, for those of us who have allergies, oh my goodness. You know, it's, uh, you pray for them 70 mile an hour winds right about the second week of March. You know, it's like, blow it out, Lord. And uh, say, anyway, so a lot of you guys are like, what's he talking about? Well, if you have allergies, you know, it was an easy season this year, but we shall see. Anyway, something to celebrate. Easter is not something we celebrate on a Sunday once a year. We should be celebrating Easter every year, every day of every year. Well, 
Uh, you know, God uh, is a God who likes his people to have a good time. Um, uh, the Lord has uh, instituted holidays, uh, times where he would want his people to come and meet with him. You know, our God is a God who uh, wants his people to come and meet with him and meet with one another. I read across this scripture this week, and this is so cool. Um, it's, uh, it's in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12. And, uh, you know, our God is a God who likes his people to have a good time. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that God has designated times of party time for his people? Are you, are you aware of that? No? Okay, well, listen to this. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 22, this is what the Lord says. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before, uh, before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, <coughs> and the firstborn of your herd and your flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So the Lord says, okay, you know, you're, you're to bring all of these things to me, uh, your grain, your wine, your oil, the firstborn of your flock and your herd. Uh, you're to bring them to me once a year uh, to, uh, to honor me, to worship me, to uh, show that you have faith and trust in me. And then verse 24, watch this. He says, and if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to bring the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, Whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Now, I know there's some religious folks that are saying, what? God said to come? And now, if it's too far of a distance, come with, you know, sell, so, sell all that stuff and make your way to the place where I want to meet with you and all your people and have a Holy Ghost party time. Because he says here, uh, you can spend it on whatever your appetite desires, sheep, oxen, have a little barbecue maybe, and a little wine or strong drink. What? Now, he's not talking about just being a drunkard, just drinking up like crazy. That's not what, but, but the Lord is like, me, come and I want to meet with you. And I want there to be a festive party atmosphere. How cool is that? A celebration. Our God is a God who loves to celebrate and celebrate with his people. Well, the first holiday, if I could use that terminology, or celebration that he instituted is called Passover. Passover. So it's been 430 years of slavery in the land of Egypt. And the Lord is going to bring his people out of slavery. And as you know that there's these plagues that have been levied against the Egyptians. And each of them were against specific gods that they worshipped. They had a multitude of gods. They worshipped the river Nile. God turned that. Moses did turn that into blood. They worshipped uh, uh, everything. They worshipped cattle. They worshipped the sun Ra, the sun god, and of course there was darkness on the land as a result of that. And so the final or the tenth plague 
was the death of the firstborn. Okay, so we're in Exodus chapter 12. Let's read this. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in, this, in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th of this day, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their houses in which they eat. Now, verse 11 through 14 says, In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Then, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Now, verse 26 through 28. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. The Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Okay, the Passover, what we call it, all right? God instructs Israel on the preparations for this holiday, this celebration called the Passover. These are specific details on what to do. And I find that God is a God of specifics and a God of details. Note the details by which they were to follow this. And in the same way, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to service, when it comes to worshiping God, God is a God of specifics and a God of details as well. For example, if we are going to stand before God forgiven for our sins, there is a prescribed way. All throughout the Bible, God has a way of doing things. You know, you cannot make up your own way of salvation. You can't just say, well, I just believe that I'm going to go to heaven because I just believe I am. Well, why do you believe that? And what if you're wrong, right? Uh, we just can't make things up with God, and that's what we do. Uh, we just kind of do that, and, and, and when we do, here's what usually happens. First of all, if we're going to make up our own God, we're going to make him give us the benefits of just 
being a nice God and giving us all kinds of, it's gonna make, we're going to make it easy, first of all, and, and we're going to make it so easy that everyone gets in, it's all inclusive, or we have a tendency to make it so difficult that no one can actually achieve a relationship with this God, but we'll pretend that we are. It's, we're pretending that we're, yeah, we're, we're, now we've got it all together when we know we don't. That, that's kind of what we do. We make it so easy that it's simple and, and there's no requirements, or we make it so difficult that nobody can really get there, but we all act like we are. It's just what we do. So there are specifics. Moses prepared Israel for this Passover celebration first by rotating the calendar and creating the first of this calendar. So this would be like our New Year's Day. Well, this was going to be the beginning of the calendar for them. It was going to start with Passover. It's a new beginning, a new year. They had left the only place that they knew, slavery in Egypt, to go to a promised land, to a place that they could only dream of going to. They were going from slavery to freedom. As Israel was taken out of Egypt, so we are taken out of the world and out of sin. So there was this amazing new thing that God was doing, and he started it with what? A party, a celebration, a memorial called Passover. Now, some of the specifics of this. And who could forget the movie, The Ten Commandments? You know, Charlton, I, Charlton, Charlton Heston, Yule Brenner, come on. It, I mean, can anyone ever do Pharaoh again after Yule Brenner did it? Who is thy God that I should, oh my, come on, come on. Who could forget <laughs> I was watching clips of that last night. I'm like, this is awesome, man. Anyway. That I should let thy people go. Classic. Specifics. An unblemished one-year-old male lamb selected by the family on April the 10th. Everyone had to do this. God would do the miracle of passing over so that the firstborn son and the firstborn of the flock would not die. The people would do their part in selecting the lamb. As usual, God does his part, and he requires us to do our part. As he so often we want God to do our part, and so often God doesn't do that. He'll do his part, but we must do our part. So God was going to see to it that the angel of death would pass over the houses, but the people had to select the lamb and follow the prescription that God gave. That's called the law of participation. You know, God doesn't need us to do anything, but He includes us for His joy and for ours. It's a great thing to be used by God to know that He could do it all by Himself, but He chooses to use us so that we might participate. God does the miracle. 
of you having a personal relationship with the Son Christ. But you need to choose that and the two work together. Okay, one-year-old male lamb, it had to be an unblemished lamb. Do you, we, is that a word that we use, unblemished? Uh, but basically, that means that you had to pick your best. Okay, one-year-old male lamb, and don't bring some lame, three-legged, one-eyed lamb up in here. You know, because what we do that. Well, man, I'm not going to give my prize lamb. Give the old, uh, a janky lamb over there. You know, bring him. No, man. Because, you know, God knows our heart. It's what we do. It's what we do. God knows. So he says, make him one year old and bring, bring me your best lamb, please. Don't bring me the, you know, old Maddie kind of, you know, crazy looking lamb. No. Okay. They had to bring it into the home. One-year-old, male lamb, bring it into the home. It was only for a couple of days, but no doubt they grew to love that lamb. Maybe the kids played with it. Maybe they even gave it a name. But all the while they knew that this lamb would only be here a few days. And maybe, you know, if you grew up on a farm where you're used to you know, butchering animals and, and all of that. Maybe, it, you know, you kind of understand that in a different capacity. Maybe you're just like, you know, th- listen, this is not a pet. This is an animal that we're going to slaughter in four days. So maybe that's not a big deal. But who knows? Maybe it was. Maybe it meant something special. But you knew that on the 14th that that lamb would be killed. And its blood would be drained into a basin. And then you would take a, a cluster of hyssop, this very common plant, and, and, and you would dip the blood into the basin and smear it across the top and across the side of the door post to your home. Wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. Stop it. There are some that would say, that is so gross. That is inhumane. And there are others who would say, that's just weird. And the poor little lambs. I mean, like, if you did that today, could you just hear the outcry? Save the lambs! I mean, people would be protesting in this. They're just slaughtering lambs. Yeah, and if you hang around for a little bit, we're going to roast them too. You can have some lamb chops. You won't be protesting then when you're smelling all that rosemary and mint and whatever else, spices. But that doesn't, how does that apply to my life? How does, how does that, what does that do? I don't understand how that, well, it's been said that the entire Bible has a red blood scarlet thread of redemption weaving through it. Throughout the whole Bible, there's this blood theme. I don't want to sound gross or anything or weird, but let me explain. This scarlet thread theme traces through the whole Bible. And whenever you see it, what you see is God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. Whenever you see it, it is, it is, a, it is, it is partnered with His love. The, the, the weaving of this scarlet theme begins in, 
in, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> where, of course, Adam and Eve sin, and they recognize something, their eyes are open, and they recognize that they are naked, and they are ashamed, because there is, there's something, you know, uh, Eve partook of this fruit from this tree that they were commanded not to, the only tree in the garden, uh, the Lord says, all of the trees, all of it, it's all yours, but this one tree, don't eat from it. And of course, that's what we do. The one tree that we're not supposed to eat the fruit of, that's what we do. Right? That, that, that's it. And so, Adam and Eve have sinned. They look at one another, and now they're ashamed, and they're naked, and who told you that? God says, and, 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 they, and they cover their nakedness with what? Fig leaves. And God says no, and somewhere in the garden there's an animal that is slain, and the skin from that animal is used to cover Adam and Eve. So there's some blood that was shed in the garden. Okay, we see it there. Um, After Adam and Eve are evicted from the garden, uh, we see this theme again in the life of Abel, Cain and Abel. Abel brings an offering from the flock. Abel somehow understood that there's a, a, a sacrificing an animal will be a pleasing aroma to God. We see it again, and when after the flood, Noah shows up and he sacrifices. And it says it's a soothing aroma to God. God makes a covenant with Abraham, and uh, there's a blood sacrifice that's required. He's willing to sacrifice his own son, but God says, no, you've proven your love and your obedience to me. There's a ram that's caught in a bush, and he takes that ram, and he sacrifices that ram. It's God's way. It's God's economy. It's God's scale. The teaching is that uh, he is perfect, God is, and our sins, that is, not measuring up to His standard must be dealt with for us to be right with Him. So here's His economy. Something innocent must die that something else might have life. Something innocent must die that something else might have life. Forgiveness, atonement, uh, being made right with God happens that way. There's no other way. See, everything is His creation. He made it, and this is His way. This is His scale. This is His economy. So here, an innocent lamb is killed for the life of the firstborn son. It's a sacrifice. It's a substitute for the person that would have died. All right? Now, a few more things about this. The flesh was to be eaten on the night of the 14th along with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. All right, verse 43 says that no foreigner was to eat it. You had to be a part of the family of God, and that meant you had to be circumcised because that was the sign of the covenant. Okay, it had to be eaten in the house, so it was a family celebration. Okay, and... Verse 46 says that you weren't to break any of the bones. Just interesting. You weren't to break any 
of the bones. Verse 47 says that everyone was to keep it. This is how serious God was about this celebration, that if you didn't do it, you were cut off from the people of Israel. That's serious. That's serious. Okay? And so, the Passover lamb is a beautiful, beautiful type and shadow. Think preview of Jesus Christ who is to come. You heard this terminology. We are in the Easter season. This is what it is all about. And we can take our celebration today back three, th- almost 3,500 years, maybe longer than that, to what happened in Egypt. And it's all a picture of Christ the Lamb of God. John chapter 1, verse 21, it's 29 says, The next day I saw Jesus coming toward him, and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when, when John said that, everyone knew exactly what he was talking about. When you hear the Lamb of God, wait a second, they go right back to that Exodus night. First Corinthians 7 says that Christ is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. Now, the lamb had to be pure and unblemished. We think sinless. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you had inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days He has been revealed for your sake. The Lamb had to be brought into the home. And so Christ must be brought into the home of our heart. Romans 10.9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? Believing in your heart means bringing the Lamb, bringing Jesus into your heart, into your life, and acknowledging Him as who He said He is. Now listen, the Lamb had to be killed. Fourth day, Mark 16, 6. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He was crucified. The lamb had to be killed. Now listen, this is kind of maybe the most important part. The blood of the lamb had to be applied to the sides and the top of their door so that they would have life. It, it had to be done. Okay, so just the killing of the lamb was not sufficient. Just believing in it and giving mental assent to saying, God says we're supposed to do that, and I think people should do that. That didn't save anyone. Just thinking that it was a good idea couldn't save Anyone, here's the key. The blood of the lamb had to be applied. It had to be applied. God told Noah that the life is in the blood. 
the life of Christ, the eternal life of Christ, is in His blood. In His blood, we receive His very life. God commanded that the flesh of animals should not be eaten with the blood, for it is life, for its life is in the blood, Leviticus 17. The animal's blood, he said, was for atonement or for a covering. Now, Jesus said this. This is crazy. Jesus said that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Okay, like when he said that, there were even some of his own followers who went, okay, you know what, that's it, man, I give up. I, I can't, what, what is he talking about? Jesus said we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. He is not talking about some pagan ritual. That, that, that's not. Because um, he said if, in John chapter 6, verse 53 through 56, that if we don't do that, then we'll have n- no life in him. So he was giving a spiritual metaphor for eternal life. His blood, his flesh, must be taken in. Remember the Passover lamb? They had to eat the flesh and apply the blood. So his eternal life is in his blood. And he said we must drink it to have that eternal life in us. Take it in, not literally, spiritually. When the high priest once a year went into this most holy place to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people, all right, uh, on the altar, uh, that blood had to be sprinkled. It had to be applied. And so here's the connection. When we by faith confess our sins before a holy God and say, God, I'm guilty of all those things you say that I am, when we ask for forgiveness and when we repent, which means to turn from our sin, then the blood of Christ is spiritually applied to our sins and we stand forgiven. We stand forgiven because of the blood of Christ. It has to be applied to our heart, to our life, to have its supernatural effect. Examples. Adam and Eve tried to clothe themselves. God shed an animal's blood and clothed them. The Israelites had to take the blood and they had to apply it to the door, the top and the sides. They they had to do that for there to be salvation or life. The blood had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat uh, and sprinkled on the priest that they could be consecrated and there could be forgiveness of sin. The overcomers in the book of Revelation, which we'll talk about, had washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And so, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible says that the hyssop, that plant that they had to apply the blood with, uh, could represent faith. A common plant uh, used to apply the blood in the Old Testament. So, if that is symbolic of faith, so faith applies the blood to the human heart in the New Testament. And so, the application of the blood of Jesus. It establishes our forgiveness. It makes us righteous before God. We're justified. Do you know what justification means? There's an old song, just as if I never sinned. That's not true. Justification means you have sinned, but it means you've been made right with God. 
You've been justified. Our cleansing, our protection, our healing, our deliverance, our sanctification, our being made right with God. Uh, The blood of Christ is something to be actively believed in, aggressively proclaimed, enthusiastically received, strongly meditated on, and continuously honored. We need to read about the blood of Christ, think about the blood of Christ, speak about the blood of Christ, sing about the blood of Christ. Is this weird? We're talking about blood here. But we're not talking about it in some pagan, sadistic way. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us of all of our unrighteousness. And we sing about it, all the blood. Uh, You ever think about that? You ever think about the songs that we sing that have to do with the blood of Christ? Like if someone didn't know you and you were just like, oh, the, you're at work, right? Maybe you're working, oh, the blood of Jesus. Man, what are you talking about? Let the scarlet thread be weaved into your thinking, your believing. The blood of Christ cleanses us. It washes us. The blood is our hope. It's the foundation of our faith, the blood of Jesus. The Scripture says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Interesting also that the Lamb could not have any broken bones. And that too was a picture of Jesus Christ who would come and who would be crucified and not a single bone would be broken. And so Jesus, just like that, that lamb was the substitute. That lamb was the sacrifice that brought life when the blood was applied. And so in the same way, Jesus Christ is the substitute He is the sacrifice. He was crucified 2,000 years ago so that I might have life. And because I've applied the blood of Jesus to my life, and I believe in His death and His resurrection, then I have eternal life. Not because I'm any better or any smarter than anyone else, but because of what He has done. So this Easter, as you think about This festive occasion, and by the way, we're celebrating all month long. Think about the blood of Christ that cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Think about this spotless lamb that was slain in ancient Egypt. And think about the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um... November 26, 2008, terrorists stormed the Taj Mahal Palace in Mumbai, India. Um, After their carnage was done, 200 people were dead. And an an interviewer spoke to one of the guests that actually survived that night. Could you imagine? And so this guest was describing how his friends were eating dinner when they heard gunshots. Someone grabbed him and pulled him under the table. These terrorists came striding through the restaurant, shooting 
at will until everyone, or so they thought everyone, had been killed. And by a miracle, this man survived. And when the interviewer asked how he lived when everyone else at his table had died, this is what he said. I suppose because I was covered in someone else's blood. They took me for dead. In his book, Has Christianity Failed You?, author Ravi Zacharias uses this story to illustrate the sufficiency of Christ's death for our sin. He says it's a perfect metaphor of God's gift through Jesus Christ to each one of us because he paid the penalty for our sin because we're covered in the blood of his sacrifice. We have eternal life. If you fast forward to Revelation, John's eyes sees a multitude from every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue standing before God. And it says those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So Passover became an annual remembrance of how God delivered the Hebrews from Egypt. As they remembered, they gave thanks to God for saving them and bringing them out of slavery. You know what we did today? We celebrated that too. That's called communion. We remember what Christ did 2,000 years ago. We remember His life, His death, and His uh, resurrection And we celebrate that, and that gives us newness of life. We remember that we're free from our sin because of what what He's done. So let me just encourage you with this, okay? The next time that struggles or trials or difficulties come your way, and they will, right? It helps to remember what God has done. It helps to remember that He has delivered us from sin He has delivered us from our own selfishness. And it also helps to remember the promises that He has for us. See, the children of Israel were to eat this Passover lamb with their sandals on their feet, packed up and ready to go. That was by faith because they were still slaves. Nothing had happened yet. And yet... They believed that if God would do this, they would be free. That's faith. That's something to remember, something to celebrate every day, that the angel of death has passed over us, and we have life in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's pray.